So we are, we're spending a, a little bit of time here just going through some of our um, values as a church, and um, this is just core to who we are. Um, I only get really one sermon series a year where I really get to say whatever I want, and we don't do verse by verse, and we don't do, it's not a topical thing, it's just me trying to revision what our church is about to you. If you maybe think over this last year, you've lost a little bit of what the church is supposed to be, or you've drifted a little bit from what it's supposed to be. Maybe you've questioned how you fit, or you're not really sure. I'm just going to remind you who we are as a church, and I'm going to encourage and challenge you to be thinking outside of yourself. So all the four weeks that I'm doing here are really focused around the idea that we need to be pushing outside of ourselves and welcoming in people who don't necessarily fit or don't find their home in a church, or aren't Christians, that we need to have those relationships in our lives, and we need to be focused on trying to reach out and uh, help other people. And so today, we're looking at the the value that we are convinced that Jesus' gospel is good news for all. And you'd say, okay, well, you're a Christian church. It kind of makes sense. It feels like you almost don't need to say that. Except for that's why we have our values, because oftentimes we drift from the things that should be the most important to us as Christians, right? And so if we don't continue to remind ourselves and we don't put it on, you know, the big banner out in the hallway and if we don't have it prominently displayed on our website and if we aren't reminding each other of it when we do ministry, if we're not focused on these things, we start to forget and we start to move on and we start to drift away from the things that are most important. And we need to understand that the thing that's most important to us is understanding that the gospel is good news for everyone, now, you may also think that's not necessarily the most revolutionary idea, but I want to challenge you this morning that maybe it's actually more revolutionary than you think. That the way the gospel applies to both believers and to unbelievers, to people who are what I would like to call pre-Christians, I have hope that they will become Christians, and I'd like to speak into existence that they will become Christians, so I like to call them pre-Christians, Right? That, that it's important both to them, to somebody who's a pre-Christian, and to someone who's been part of the faith for a very long time. That the gospel is central to what it means to be uh, a, a believer, but it's also central to what it means to reach people who are not yet believers. And I want to remind you that it's very important for us as believers to always keep the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in the focus of what we're doing as believers. So I'm going to start here in Romans chapter 10. Um, I'm going to start with verse 8. You can follow along or maybe be on screen here too. Um, And this is Paul writing to the Romans. He's speaking to believers, right? The church uh, that he's writing to has kind of had kind of a long absence of having people sort of help to kind of corral and teach it and kind of gotten off track in a few ways. And so Paul is writing his like his most concise, his most thoughtful, his most like uh, his most well done, in my opinion, version of what it means to defend the gospel to them and trying to set them straight again. So trying to, you know, correct some of the errors that they had made over time. They have, they have drift from what the values should be. And they're arguing over things that have been settled and should be settled and really aren't really problems, but they continue to come back and become problems. And so he's just going back to the very basics. The first eight chapters, he spent a very long time kind of building a case Uh, And then he kind of starts to, in chapter 8, land on the gospel is sort of the answer to the problems that you're having, right? And so just before this section, he's been arguing with them, to them, making a case for the idea that the gospel is the solution that you're looking for. 
right? And so here we are, verse 8. He says, but what does it say? And he's talking about the gospel. What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's on your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So he's going to explain to them the message that they proclaim about faith. That if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Emphasis added by me, the Newmark International Version. Paul is landing the plane on what it means to understand the gospel. He says it starts with this idea that you profess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead for your sins. We have to stop and say, you are not a believer in Jesus unless you have professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that it was his sacrifice on the cross that paid for your sins End of story. That's the whole thing. There isn't that and something else. The gospel often gets sort of, uh, it's like, yes, I believe in the gospel, but also you need to act like a Christian. But also you need to serve. But also you need to give, you know, financially to some. But also you need to, you know, do this a certain way. But also you need to, you know, believe these 20... No, it's very clear. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he in control of your life and in charge of everything? And do you allow him to change you in every way? He's Lord, right? In that time frame when Caesar was in charge, you didn't get a choice. Caesar was your Lord, right? You were just a subject in Caesar's kingdom. You had no choice. It wasn't people going out there and say, I choose Caesar. You just were a subject of Caesar, and he was your Lord. He was in charge of everything, right? So these people understand the idea of lordship, I think, in a way that we ne don't necessarily understand the idea of lordship. We don't have lords. You know, we have duly elected political figures that are not paying attention to us at all and don't care about us, right? Sorry, I got political for a minute. Just... But we don't have lords. Lordship is different than anything that we have. Lordship means that you are not in control, that you are giving away all of what it means to be in charge to the person who has the authority. And I want you to understand, that's what we're talking about with, with Jesus. He wants to be your Lord, and he wants to, you to be part of his kingdom, but he does not force it onto you. He lets you believe that it was his sacrifice that paid for you, and to speak into existence the idea that he is Lord in your life. Right? That's what a baptism is, essentially. It's you professing publicly that Jesus is your Lord. And so if at some point in your life you have not professed the idea that Jesus is your Lord, and if you don't 100% believe that it was his sacrifice that paid for your sin on that cross, then you have a lordship problem, and that's where the gospel begins. The gospel says no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you're wired and what your story is, the gospel is you are loved by God, and he died for you, and all you do is accept that gift. You don't earn it. You don't do anything to, to make it happen. It's him who did all the work you receive. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the good news. And it should be good news to us. 
But often it's not good news because we are obstinate. In this case, he was arguing with the Jews who were basically not allowing the gospel to get into them and to really sink into a heart level. And they were being obstinate. They were fighting to kind of be in control. And we do this in very, like, maybe we're not out and out rebels in our lives, but we're maybe sort of passive-aggressive rebels, right? We either don't want Jesus to be in charge of everything, so we kind of hold stuff back. We don't give him parts of our lives that we know we don't really want to offer to him. Or we like the idea of having something to do with our own salvation, so we do the gospel plus the stuff that I can do for the kingdom or the stuff that I can do for Jesus, and we almost try to earn it back. And I know this is really hard, but you've been in a situation where someone offered you help before, probably, and you had a hard time accepting the help, right? Like, I, the beginning of this year, actually into the last summer, uh, I had, you know, a couple different health problems that caused me to not be able to go and mow my own lawn, okay? And the way that we delineate chores in our house is I generally do all the outside stuff, right? And so that's my domain. But here I am. I can't go out there and push a lawnmower. I've got a busted foot last summer, and I had a heart problem this year, right? And so I'm sitting there watching people mow my lawn. Now, I had to accept help from people, and I didn't want to do it. You've been in that situation before where you just didn't want somebody else? Now, look, the help was amazing, and I have to be really careful because it was mostly Neil who was doing it, and so (laughs) he has my mic back there. He can do whatever he wants, but... It's hard to watch someone do what you want to be doing, what you know you should be doing. It's hard to accept the help of somebody. So often we joke because I would go outside and be like, Neil, why don't you stay for dinner? I'll feed you. And of course, he turned me down every single time. This is like a running joke in our lives that I can never have Neil over for dinner. Um, but like, it's, it's hard. And you've been in that situation where you want to earn something. You want to put the work into it. You want to feel good about doing it. And with our salvation, that is a really, really dangerous viewpoint to have because you don't do the work to earn the salvation that's given to you. That's why it's good news. That's why it's good news for everyone. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are in the, in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of the culture. It matters whether you have made Jesus your Lord and received freely the gift that he gives to you because he's done the work. He's given you the faith. He's allowed you to have the option of, of deciding to follow him. And now it's your choice to decide whether or not you want to follow him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's why it's good for everyone. But we want to try to earn it. Or we want to hold pieces of ourselves back from, the, from Jesus. And we don't want to make him Lord all the way. Right? We do gospel plus our stipulations. You know, when I was growing up, there wasn't like, have it your way. You went to the, you know, the restaurant and they like laugh at you when you told them all the modifications that you make. Now I can't even imagine how you could possibly make modifications for people with all their crazy, you know, food issues, right? You'd be like, hey, I want this thing, but I don't want that, but can we do half this? Can we, you know, under, you know, whatever, like, you just make it all these, we don't get to do that with the gospel. The gospel is given to us, and we receive it, okay? So, the first idea is that the gospel is great, sorry, good news of Jesus is for all, and that's the, the way that Paul writes this. He says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, that the Lord is Lord of all. He richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on him on the name of the Lord will be saved. He opens up the door for those of us who want to earn it, for those of us who want to hold back parts of our lives from Jesus and not make him Lord, for those of us who don't feel qualified to accept it, 
For those of us who have trouble for whatever reason for, to accept the gospel, he offers it to all of us, and to all of us it is good news. One of the things I, I had to learn, because you know I'm not a lifelong Minnesotan, I'm going to tread lightly here, so don't be offended. Okay, I grew up on the East Coast. The East Coast is different, obviously, than Minnesota, than the Midwest, than the upper Midwest. Um, people are direct. People are aggressive-aggressive. Um, they are straightforward. We always joke that people from New York or New Jersey, uh, you never have to question what they're thinking that essentially you'll be in the middle of a conversation with somebody on the phone and they'll do the New York goodbye, where they're just like, okay, okay, see you, bye-bye, and they just hang up on you. Like, it's fast, everything's aggressive, it's strong. When I moved out here, everybody's different than that. <laughs> People hate you and you don't know it. People are frustrated with you, you have no idea. Right? People won't tell you when something's up. They'll just kind of like let it go and kind of let it fester and it becomes a problem. Right? Now, I'm not going to say which one's better or worse because they both have their benefits and their negatives. Right? But I do think that when we... I think there are a lot of people in the Midwest who like the idea of pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, of being exceptional in their own right, of not accepting help from other people, of making their own way, of being independent. There's some sort of streak in us, and I would call it pride, that says, I don't necessarily want to accept this from other people or be vulnerable or receive help or in any way. And so I think we have as much, if not more, right? I would say on the East Coast, you have a lot of atheism where people just say, I don't believe in God at all. But out here, we have a lot of soft atheism where people say, I'd rather earn it myself. They might even go to church. They might even go through the motions of church. At the end of the day, they might not in any way want to make Jesus their Lord because of their own pride. I think we have a lot of religious institutions all over this area that don't necessarily understand or preach or explain the gospel to people very well. And we have a lot of people, as Jesus would say, they called me Lord, but I did not know them. Right? Jesus would say, this person with their lips served me, maybe even from your point of view with their actions served me, but at the end of the day, they were relying on themselves for salvation, not on me. And I want you to know that if that's you, or your dad, or your cousin, or your mom, that the gospel is great news. Because at any time when you decide to lay down your pride, Jesus welcomes you in and does all the work. What's beautiful is that if you do want to be somebody who makes a difference in this world and, and, and puts your back into something and makes sure that you're changing the world around you and adding to it and helping people that are having a hard time and being part of a community that cares for people... That's the outflow of the gospel. That's what comes out of lives who, of, of, from people who are, you know, have given themselves fully to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, that's where the gospel begins. It is good news for you. It is good news for the worst person among us and the best person among us. Right? We look at one person and we say, that guy's way better than me. 
I do this all the time. This is how I think. They're way better than me. Thank God for the gospel. But also thank God for the gospel for them. And if you look at it the other way, I'm, you know, I, there's, thank God there's people worse than me because I would never get into heaven. That's not how it works. Thank God the gospel exists for them. Thank God the gospel exists for you. The gospel is good news for all. Paul, Paul continues on. So after he says, you know, hey, here's what the gospel looks like and here's who it's for, right? Uh, verse 14. How then can they, talking about those who aren't followers, so he's actually talking to Jews, but he's talking about people who aren't religious, so mostly Gentile people, people who aren't religious, don't fit in church. They're the ones that are on the outside. He says, how then can they call on the name of the, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The second idea is that God calls us to be sent. That when we have this gift of the gospel, we're called to go out and share it. And my question to us always would be, do we really believe the gospel if we do not go out and share it with people? Because I think we have a problem understanding and accepting the gospel for ourselves, and then we're timid going to share it because we really haven't let it affect us and change us and be part of what it means. And, and I know we talked about this last week. Actually, the, the thing that resonated with last week's sermon with most people that wanted to talk to me about it was the idea that they were so much more excited about sharing the gospel when they became a believer and that they had lost some of that passion over time. Right? Over time, you can take advantage of something that's unbelievable, I'm going to make fun of my kids for just a second. Sorry, son. Um, they went on an Alaskan cruise, I told you guys, last week. So they come back. This isn't so much Miles. This is more Macy. But I said, well, what was your favorite thing about the cruise? I'm thinking, like, icebergs, you know, like, their slide, the, the, the heated pool. Like, you know, like, they played virtual reality on the, they, they did go-karts, like, on the top of this boat. Like, there's a million things they could say. What do, what do you think the answer I got was? Ice cream. <laughs> you know why? Because it was unlimited. You could just walk by and grab ice cream literally 24-7. The only thing stopping them was a grandparent who doesn't really put any rules around what these children should be eating. Those are the parents that are laughing over there. Uh, are, you, are you kidding? That's the thing that you want to talk about? That's the thing? If you're going to tell somebody, hey, go on an Alaskan cruise, go and get ice cream. You know we can do that here. Like I don't, I, it just didn't resonate with me, right? Like I just didn't understand. That's that's what we we're, that's what we we're talking about. That's where they wanted to go with that. And I wonder if we actually believe the gospel if we're not out sharing it. We're like somebody saying that the best part of this is like a very small piece of it that really isn't even the main thing. We're like afraid to share it with people because we may offend them, or we're afraid to reach out to people because. Oh, who knows? Like, they may ch choose to follow Jesus, and that might change. Like, we have this, we're hung up on this thing, but I wonder if it's because we actually believe the gospel or not. Because if you believe the gospel, right, and you realize all that it entails, this good news that Jesus has saved you, and you let that sink into you and change who you are, you have no choice but to share that. And I know you understand this because you also, you advocate for things that aren't even important. All the time. 
Like if I asked you, you know, we're, we're looking at, we need to buy a new mattress. Everyone's going to make a recommendation to me after the service about the best mattress that they've ever slept on and how I need to buy that thing. They're going to say, hey, there's a, this purple, blue, whatever bird thing. I don't know. It's in a box. Like you need to get this one that has the thing. Like they, oh, they make this one in the factory down in Maplewood. Like you're going to give me a recommendation. I guarantee this will happen. You're going to give me, you advocate for things you love. You do it all the time, and no one has to teach you to do that. No one has to say, hey, man, when someone says to you, what's the best restaurant in the area, you, you have a go-to, and you're like, dude, this is the place you got to go, right? Like, you advocate for things all the time. Why are we not advocating for the gospel? It should be the most important thing that has ever happened to us and will ever be possible for the other person that we're in connection with. Why? Why would we hold that back? At best, at best, that's a terrible choice on our part, and at worst, that's evil. To say, let me withhold from you my recommendation of the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But yet we get stuck on, you know, other pieces, and we miss the idea. We don't want to offend somebody. We're afraid, you know, it might change the way that our relationship is. There's a lot of reasons why we might just, we might just not want to get into it. We might not want to open that can of worms, and we just don't. Go for it. And I'm telling you, almost everything else in your life you'd go for. Is this really important to you? Have you really been changed by the good news of what Jesus did for you? Because if you have, you don't need a class to teach you how to share your faith. You don't need to have every answer to every question that somebody might possibly ask. You don't need to be able to overcome every objection that they have. You can share your story and say, Here's what my life was like without Jesus, and then I received him, and the gospel changed my life. That's all you need. And that should be an easy choice to make. If you love someone, if you care about them, if you believe the gospel is transformative. We get tied up in our heads, and we miss the idea that we're supposed to be sharing this thing. We're supposed to be sent. We're supposed to be outwardly focused on people who do not know Jesus so that we can share this gospel with them. So God calls us to be sent. John 17, uh, Russ, you don't have this in your thing. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to go to the cross. This is one of the things he says. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have full measure of joy within them. I've given them your word. He's, he's actually praying for them, so he's speaking to God on their behalf. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am not of this world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer for his disciples when he leaves the earth is that God would continue to use them in the world, but not that they would become like the world and not that they would get chewed up by the enemy, but that they would be protected by God and used in a way to communicate the good news of what Jesus is about to do to the world around them. He says, they are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, I have sent them into this world. Jesus is one of his final prayers for his disciples. He's calling out the idea that he was sent here and that we are sent into this culture, into this world to share the gospel. That is how we should be living, right? And it's not confusing. Jesus and the Great Commission, go and make disciples and teach and, you know, and baptize and help them obey everything that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, it's, the, it's in the, the, uh, his choice of words when he calls the church 
to start doing their things. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and now to the ends of the earth. God is a God that sends. He's a God that goes, right? What does he first do when he meets Abraham? Come, follow me, get out of here. I'm going to send you where you should go. What does he do with Israel when they're, you know, out in the desert? He sends them to the place where they're going to go and going to start to... He sends everyone, right? He sends us. He wants us to live as sent people. It's a theme all throughout Scripture. This is not a God who sits back and waits for you to come to him. He pursues you. He pursues your neighbor. He pursues your coworker. He's pursuing the entire world. What a great name for a church. And it's because of his pursuit of us that we are then free to go and pursue him and the people that he loves, everyone else, right? That's the goal. That's the idea. And if I'm not reminding you of anything else, I need to remind you that the gospel means that we are sent to go and share this good news with people who need to hear it, that God is trying to reach them, pursue them through us. And we miss it. We get comfortable, we get lazy, we get scared, and we don't, we don't enter into this gospel participation that Jesus is offering us. We miss it. And I want to challenge you. Do you really believe it? If you're not entering into it, do you really believe it? Has the gospel changed you in such a way that you can't stop yourself from going and sharing it with someone else? He lands the plane here in Romans 10, back to Romans 10, uh, verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. So he's talking about the idea that the good news was for the Jews, and the Jews didn't necessarily all accept it, that they had hard hearts, that they wanted to earn some of their salvation, that they didn't like the idea of the idea of grace. And they didn't necessarily, it didn't land very well with them. They didn't let it sink in and change who they were. He says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, he says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And the last idea is that faith comes through hearing. And it is one of my least favorite quotes to say, I'm not even 100% sure what it is, but it's something to the effect of, uh, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I think like somewhere that like we put that on the wall and we feel good about it, right? Like I should live in such a way that people, and, and I understand that concept, and yes, there are parts of Scripture that tell us to lead quiet lives so that people will understand and see the gospel in our lives. I get where it comes from. I'm not hating on you if you've got it, you know, cross-stitched on a pillow in your house, or, you know, it's like a sticker on your water bottle, or I don't know, something, you got it hanging up on a poster, fine. But that's not preaching the gospel. What does this say here? Faith comes through hearing and the word of God comes through hearing the word of God. It comes through hearing it from someone else who's willing to tell you their story and share with you how God has changed them. You have to use words to preach the gospel. You can live in such a way that is consistent with the gospel. And it may draw people into a conversation, but you will use words to help them understand what the gospel means. You cannot help them understand how much God loves them and what he sacrificed for them and why this is so transformational and important to them, unless you are willing to open your mouth. We are called to be sent ones. We are called to be 
people who display the gospel in our lives, and when we get to the chance to share, we're called to open our mouths and explain why we have the hope that we do in the God that we love. And it shouldn't be difficult for us to communicate that. You don't need to worry about getting it right. You'll get it right. You know why? The Holy Spirit will use you in that moment. You'll open your mouth and explain to them why the gospel has transformed your life. And you'll recommend to them, just as much as excited as you would be to recommend to them your favorite restaurant or your favorite mattress or whatever thing it is that you found that you love, that you are excited about, you'll do that with God when he has changed your life completely and dramatically and you've been transformed. Now, could we give you tools? Can we do a class on evangelism? Sure. But you don't need that, right? It wouldn't hurt, but you don't need that. Go and share the gospel. Be sent. Live as though God has transformed you and wants to transform every person that you come in contact with. Be as excited about sharing the gospel with people as you are about recommending whatever favorite thing that you have. And I'm only reminding you not to to say you're doing a terrible job because that's not helpful, right? All of us are at times lazy or scared or we're off track or we're just missing it. Okay, I'm reminding you that this is core to what it means to be a believer in Jesus and it is core to what it means for our church to exist. We're here because of the gospel and how it has transformed our lives. We're here to proclaim it to other people. We're here to live it out in this world. Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, would you just continue to help us keep in the center of our focus the idea that we have been transformed by your sacrifice. It was your humility, your choice to go to a cross that changed everything for us. God, whether we are the best person in this world or the worst, God, this is good news for us. Would you help us to continue to remember that and to let your sacrifice change who we are? Would you bring people into our lives who need to hear this message? And would you continue, God, to keep us outwardly focused, not inwardly focused, but outwardly focused on reaching people with your great news? We thank you, God, that you care about us, that you intervene for us, and that you want to have a relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.